Today, of course, is also the fourth Sunday of Advent. And so uh, to Christians throughout the centuries, the last day of Advent is also the last day of that season of anticipation and waiting until we get to celebrate the, the birth of the Christ child, which is a wonderful thing. However, today being the last day of Advent, Christmas Eve, also it is a, on a more alarming note, just to remind you, it is the last shopping day until zero hour. If that uh, has not dawned on you, it's just today. Uh, you just have a matter of hours left. And uh, so if, if, just to inspire you, watch this uh, video here. <laughs> Is that not the experience of every mom out there? Mel said that is way too close to reality. Uh, guys, don't let this be the woman in your homes. You have, you have six more hours to do something, something special for the hardest work, working woman in your life. Your mama, your wife, whatever, whoever she is. All right. Well, we have been, um, we've been unpacking how the call of Advent uh, is primarily uh, one for us to wait. And, uh, and we've been learning how to wait and wait well. And last week we looked at the story of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and learned some lessons uh, about waiting well from him. And this morning we're going to look at another person. This is the mother of God, as she's called herself, little Mary, a young girl who has a pretty flippin' amazing odyssey, right? I mean, seriously, this girl's life was turned upside down with one visit from an angel. Uh, and can you just imagine, first of all, just how that would turn, you know, flip around your entire worldview, you know, your entire view of the universe, just a visit from an angel. Uh, but then what if that angel showed up at your door and said, hey, guess what? You're pregnant. And not just any pregnant, you're pregnant with the Son of God. And you're going to raise him to be the perfect human being and he's going to save the world. No pressure. Don't mess up this kid. Uh, and so, so if you're following along with us, you can go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, where we encounter this amazing, amazing young woman. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, Nazareth, Nazareth is a, this is a place in, in Jesus' day that pretty much everybody looked down on if they even knew it existed it was a total like hick town. We're told that Nazareth was like this tiny little, barely a crossroads, uh, had a really bad reputation. Um, I don't know, what would like the Texas equivalent to Nazareth be? I don't even want to say because it'll make somebody mad. So, but you get the idea, right? Like, like Dallas, but really small, like much, much smaller. I went there, I'm sorry. Uh, so Nazareth isn't even mentioned in like any rabbinical writings of the day. And today it's a huge city. It's this thriving city in Israel. But 2,000 years ago, it was basically a stop sign uh, on the Wilderness Highway. As I said, it had a population of about 200 people. And so, you know, last week it, we saw Gabriel, the angel, show up to you know, the priest of the temple in the capital Jerusalem. So that's not surprising. But what is surprising is that he would then a little bit later show up to this young woman living in Nazareth. And it says she is a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Let's talk for a second about what that is, being pledged to be married. And teenagers, this will be relevant someday. Um, pledged to be married means that there's, back then, Two families have entered into a covenantal relationship. Uh, 
And typically, the, the young woman, uh, very young in age, usually as soon as they hit the age of like menstruation, they were, they were pledged to somebody. So this could be like 12 to 14 years old, like really, really young. And, and, uh, and for the men, it would be around 17 to 18 years old, roughly is the average age for them. But during this betrothal period, it's something we don't really have. It, it's, it's, it's like being engaged, but more. It, it, you would have this formal ceremony, then this betrothal period was about a year long. And uh, during that year, you were called like husband and wife. And if, like if, you know, if something happened and one of you died, the other one would be called like a, would be known as a widow or a widower. Um, you know, if you cheated on each other, it would be considered adultery. It was that, you know, you were, you were in that formal of a relationship. But you weren't allowed yet to live in the same space or to have intimate relations during that year. And so it was during this year, the woman would be at home. She would stay home in her family's home and be learning like domestic duties. And the man would go off and he would be building a place attached to his father's house where they would live. Does that sound familiar? I go to a place, yeah. Um, and so this, was, this betrothal period was interesting. It was a legally binding situation. It was a really big deal, different than just our sort of engagement before marriage today. So this was super significant. So Mary's, she's a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who is a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. Now, if you're just reading this text, you know, with the, you know, kind of with first century ears on, is there anything in this text that gives you an idea that she's special or highly favored? Does Mary's life look like she's privileged in any way? Uh, you know, d does it stand out? Uh, Mary, it turns out, is the, the most common name for girls of her day, right? So, like, everybody's named Mary. So, that, you know, that doesn't make her special, her name. Mary, uh, she, she's, a, she's a woman, so, of course, she has very little social status there in the ancient Near East. She, she lives in a nothing town. Really, the only distinctive thing thing about her is that she's kind of in this sort of no man's land of not really single and not really married, right? So is there anything that would clue you in that she's done anything special or that she, you know, sticks out in some highly favored status? Not at all, right? She, she has done nothing that there's nothing she's accomplished. It's simply the grace of God that makes her highly favored. It's the grace of God. He says, the Lord is with you. And it says in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled, <laughs> I guess, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Remember, angels always have to say that in the Bible. They always have the first thing they learn in angel school is tell them don't be afraid. Because apparently angels are not like these little precious moments figurines or like little naked flying babies. They are something, whew, I don't know, uh, formidable. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, which means God's salvation. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. It's a pretty epic promise. Uh, but Mary asks, okay, but... And she doesn't say, now give me a sign, like we saw last week Zechariah asked. But what, she's asked, what she does ask is, how's it going to work exactly? 
since I'm a virgin. And it says the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was once said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month now. Then the angel says, for no word from God will ever fail. You could just camp out there a while. No word from God will ever fail. And then Mary responds this, she, with this beautiful, beautiful response. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, as we, read, we reread this story, uh, this Christmas story, we read it, you know, if you're like me, I read it like such an American, you know, it's, it's this sanitized, very tensely version of this really kind of messed up, troubling story. Mary is young, as we said, like 12 to 15 years old. She's very young. And she turns out to be pregnant during the betrothal period. And Joseph's clearly not the father. And so how does that work, do you think, in a town of 200 people? Anybody from a small town? Everybody kind of like knows everybody's business, right? It's kind of like being in a small church. You know what's going on with everybody's business, right? And I mean, back then too, in, you know, in the Jewish culture, bloodlines were so important. There was so much importance attached to, you know, your, your generation and who you were, who was your father, who was your mother. So any circumstances around a birth that would cause it to sound illegitimate or questionable, it very often resulted in that person just being cast out of the community. Um, and in fact, we know from the Gospels, the life of Jesus, even on into his adulthood, we know from some of the snide comments that the Pharisees made that there was a stigma attached to him. Not only that, but, but because Mary, the general perception would have been that she had sinned in this way, she would not be able to be married again for the rest of her life. So when we read this, you know, to us, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, this is cute. It's the little Christmas story. And it's really sweet when Linus reads the story to Charlie Brown, you know. Um, but if we're really looking at their day and we, get, we see it with those first century eyes, we go, hold on a second. Whoa, this is really disruptive. I mean, this, is, this could almost be like an offensive thing to this girl and this boy like Mary and Joseph in a small town where people are going to be walking around giving them the side eye for the rest of their lives. So, it's not surprising that right after this news, Mary leaves, and she visits the only person in the world who's likely to believe her, and that's her cousin Elizabeth. We read about last week, right? Because um, Elizabeth has just seen her own great miracle. Mary's about to have this impossible pregnancy as this young girl, and Elizabeth is experiencing an impossible pregnancy as an older woman, and so She's, you know, you can understand, she's, she's the only one that's going to believe Mary. Uh, and so she goes there to stay with Elizabeth a while as she and Joseph are, are making preparations for this monumental event that's taking place. Now, we all know, most of us probably know kind of what happened next. We know the Bethlehem story and the story, all that happens there. But I want to step back today um, and look at this young woman, Mary, and Look at how we can unpack some really powerful truths uh, of, of how she reacts and what she does that can help teach us the art of waiting well. This is going to be very practical for us. And the first thing we can learn uh, from Mary 
is that while we wait, it is okay to be troubled and confused in the meantime, right? When Gabriel talks to Mary, it says that she is greatly troubled by his words. There's no doubt of that, right? Gabriel lets her know, no, it's cool. Don't be afraid. You're just going to be pregnant even though you've never been with a man. Well, that totally sets her mind at ease, I'm sure, right? I mean, it's amazing news, and she handles it with faith and courage, but she's still puzzled enough to ask, how will this be? Like, what's the plan here? And, but we contrast her reaction to Zechariah's when Zechariah was given the news that they were going to have a baby. They're, both Mary and Zechariah, they're both kind of bewildered, and they look for some explanations but you remember, Zechariah looks for guarantees. He needs a sign. He needs guarantees. Mary just wants to know the plan. What's the plan? Which isn't always what God is going to share with us, but there isn't anything wrong in asking. Isn't that good to know? There's nothing wrong with asking. Okay, God, what's the plan? What's the next step? You, what is it, what's it going to look like? And in fact, to me, what Mary shows, she has something a lot of people have lost, and that is curiosity. Being, being curious means admitting you have questions. It's okay to have questions. And Mary assures us that, that uh, simply feeling confusion or even anxiety, it isn't wrong. It's not a sin to feel nervous about the unknown. And honestly, if you don't feel at least some anxiety about what God has in store, about what he's going to do tomorrow, that could be a, a sign that you have become numb to the possibility that he has anything in store for you. Right? How many of you have ever heard a good word from the Lord, like to you, you know, and your reaction was, oh, that's amazing. Oh, I wonder what's going to happen. Oh, that's amazing. I can't believe that. Whoa, that's crazy. Or have you had the reaction like, yeah, sure. I've heard that before. Right? We, we don't want to be that way. Mary shows excitement. She, she's puzzled, but she shows this hope and this understanding that something is about to happen, that God is going to do something. And so waiting can be troubling. It can be confusing. But you can share your troubles with God. He's a good father, right? Ask him your questions. Just let's not demand that God give us guarantees. That's where Zechariah went wrong. Because waiting requires faith. And faith, as Hebrews tells us, is the evidence of things not seen, right? It requires faith. Okay, number two, what do we learn from Mary? Mary's ability to wait well, it comes from seeing herself with, with a healthy dose of humility. And, and both of those words are important, healthy and humility. Mary says something that shows us that she sees herself in the right way. She has this sort of self-professed identity that reveals somebody, I think, with a proper understanding of who she is. And let me explain that. What that is. At the end of her conversation with Gabriel, she declares, I am the Lord's servant. I think that's a powerful phrase. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. In other words, waiting well is central to being the Lord's good servant. What is a servant? A servant is someone who waits on another, right? It, it, you know, when I was growing up at the restaurant, we called them waiters. Now we call them servers, but it's the same thing, right? It, it, that's why it, a waiter is somebody who serves you. And so waiting well simply means serving well. And Mary waits well because she is someone who knows, 
she seems to know ultimately that she is God's servant. To wait on someone is to serve them. I was thinking about this this morning because this is very recent. How many of you have young kids like in elementary school? Have you ever been downstairs ready to go and they still haven't put on their shoes or brushed their teeth or they're not wearing underwear (laughs) or something? You're having to wait on them. Is that super fun? No, it's not fun. We get agitated. We get a little frustrated, right? And why is that? Because we're waiting for them. And it's like at that point, we're, we're at their mercy, right? We're at their mercy. To wait on someone is to be at their mercy. And Mary understood that she is at the Lord's mercy. She is the servant to the Lord. Something else, though, I like about Mary. She's humble. That's good. But it's not some, like, false humility, She's not, it's not some like cringing, oh, I'm worthless, right? I'm nobody, I'm a trash, I'm just trash, right? She doesn't say that. She sees herself innocently, almost naively with the eyes of God. She sees herself very accurately. God has selected her for such a time as this. And so she sees in herself, that's who she sees herself as, right? She's like, okay, I am a teenage virgin that God has blessed with this beautiful mission. Bring it on. So when God asks you, to wait on him, to be patient as he prepares you to do something that he plans to do through you. Wait with joy. Wait with joy because you are his servant. That means you are favored. When he asks you to do something, it means he favors you. And as I was, I was talking to a friend just last week who I was feeling some anxiety over a little step of faith that was stretching them and kind of that God was calling them into. And they said, th- said something so powerful that God reminded them that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Isn't that so good? And Mary has that understanding. He, he equips the called. Number three, it helps to connect with other people who will encourage you while you wait. This is so important. So immediately after hearing this news, Mary hurries down to Judea to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And we're told that Mary ends up staying with Elizabeth for three months. And that might seem like a random fact, three months. But earlier in the scripture, Gabriel spoke to Mary. It turns out it was about six months after he prophesied the birth of John the Baptist. And so in other words, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for the last trimester of her pregnancy. So she was there helping Elizabeth while Elizabeth was helping her. And we see both of these ladies, they were, you could just imagine, they were this exciting season of waiting. Who on earth but each other could understand what the other was going through, right? They waited together and they're supporting each other. Even when they might've gotten nervous, one of them might be nervous, the other one can encourage each other and they celebrate with each other. They're, they're worshiping with each other. They're waiting with each other. And And Mary's probably helping out Elizabeth, you know, she's super pregnant, so Mary's like doing stuff. And Elizabeth's giving Mary like all this probably wonderful advice, you know, life advice, because Elizabeth's an older woman. And so this is so important for you and me. When we're waiting on God, can't stress this enough, get with other people who know how to wait well with you. Get with people who can wait well with you, who can share our joys and share our frustrations without judging us, right? People who can pray with us, People who can remind us of God's promises and his faithfulness. When our faith starts to lag, right? 
You want to be with people who can speak the truth and love to us and hold us accountable and spur us on. We need people in our life too who can hear that vision that God has given you and they'll connect their faith with yours, you know, without telling you, nah, that sounds crazy. You can't do that. People who believe in you because they believe in God, right? Let me, let me kind of focus this to young believers too. If you're here and you're kind of a younger Christian, the majority of the walk of faith is not the fireworks and the miracles. The majority of the walk of faith, it's the waiting in between. Isn't that true? Older Christians, yeah. It's the waiting in between. That's the experience. And waiting can be very lonely. But the angel tells Mary, she tells her for a reason that she's not the only one who's waiting. And, and Mary's young, she's inexperienced, so she joins up with this other person who has already waited much longer. Elizabeth's been waiting her whole life for a baby. Plus, she's been pregnant for a little longer. And so Mary had a lot to learn about waiting on the Lord. So she waited with others who knew how to wait well. We never need to walk alone when we wait. No one walks alone. And this church right here truly is a community of waiters. We're waiters, right? And so we need each other. We need each other so not one of us forgets who it is that we're, we're waiting for. Um, so listen, I don't know what you might be waiting for in this season of your life. And by the way, here's a little secret. You may not know what you're waiting on either. And that's okay, because that brings us to number four. Waiting well means accepting. You may not know exactly what you're waiting for. You may not know what you're waiting for. Now, Mary was given a pretty grand picture of what would come. But did she fully grasp what that meant to the whole universe? Did she understand the full spiritual implications of what was happening? Probably not. Did she know what her daily life was about to look like? Did she know what was coming? Because I can imagine if Mary's like me, she probably instantly, as soon as she heard this news, she's already forming like a picture in her mind of what life is now going to look like, right? Oh, I'm going to have this baby. It's a miracle baby. It's going to be wonderful and everything's going to go easy. It's going to be wonderful. I'm going to raise it to be a perfect child. Everybody in the village is going to love this baby. And we're just going to like, and Joseph, you know, he'll go off to work every day and I'll be taking care of the baby and we'll come home. We'll be a perfect family. And someday this baby will like grow up and become successful and take care of me, right? All these kind of pictures that all, you know, parents get, you know, about the, the, the new, newborn baby that we, you know, we instantly come up with all these pictures. Did she know what was coming? Did she know she was going to be given birth in a barn? No. Right? Did she know she would be fleeing to Egypt in the middle of the night to escape from government assassins? No. Did she know she would watch her son heal the blind and the lame and feed thousands of people with a miracle? Did she know that someday she would be standing underneath the cross that he was hanging on, right? She may have formed a picture in her mind of what that would look like, but I guarantee she had no idea what her life was about to look like. And for Mary, you know, we might be like, well, that's great. Mary got the visit from an angel. I'd be all in if I get a visit from an angel, but most of us don't get the visit from the angel. Am I right? Most of us aren't told with a big booming voice from heaven what it is we are even waiting on. So you might be in a period of waiting. You might know something is coming. Or, you know, for you, it could be you just know that a season has passed. You know that this season of my life is over. 
And now I don't know what is the next thing. There's some season of my life that was super comfortable and familiar, and I know that's over, and I don't know what's coming next. And so waiting for you might be just a big unknown, and that's okay. That's okay, because like we said last week, we don't always have to know what we're waiting for when we know who we're waiting on. We're waiting on God. We wait on the Lord. We wait on, the, we wait on God and we wait for Christ to show up in his perfect timing because he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. So this morning, I just want to challenge you in this. Don't make an idol of certainty of what lies ahead. Don't make an idol out of that certainty. Yes, it would be nice. It would be nice to have the angel come down and tell each of us what our next steps are. It would be nice to have the picture and all the angels come like they did in front of the shepherds and sing a big song for us so we knew exactly where to go to find the Christ child, you know. But don't make an idol of that. We don't have to have an idol of that kind of certainty. Allow God to be God in your life and let that be good enough. Let it be good enough that, to just know that He knows what lies ahead. Because He knows. He knows what lies ahead. So you can trust Him. You can trust him. You can trust him with your future. You can trust him with tomorrow. You can trust him with your fear, with your anxiety and uncertainty. You can trust him with your questions. You can even trust him enough to go, God, I'm not sure how this is going to work. Maybe you have a picture. Maybe you have a, you've been given a word and you're like, God, I, <laughs> that sure seems impossible, but I don't know how it's going to work. But you can trust him even when you haven't been visited by the angel and told every detail. When, when the future for you just looks like a big, scary, wide-open canyon of I don't know what, because he knows. He knows. So it's okay to be nervous. God's got this. It's okay to not have it all figured out. God actually prefers it that way, I think, when we don't have it all figured out ahead of him. And number two, it's okay to have a healthy self-image and declare, I'm not a nobody. I am God's child. Amen? Just like Mary. Mary, she didn't say she was a nobody. She just said, I'm the Lord's servant. Right? God's given me a beautiful purpose whether I know what it is or not. Number three, it's important to connect with other people who can help you and help you wait well and encourage you when you need it and give you wise counsel. Keep you grounded when you tend to fly off into panic or doubt because we'll all have those moments. Ah, you need that person going, it's going to be all right. Right? And it's okay not to know exactly what you're waiting on because we know who we're waiting on. And it's no accident to me that the four themes of Advent, Advent's the season of, of waiting, the four traditional themes of Advent are joy, peace, hope, and love. Joy, peace, hope, and love. So wait with joy right? Choose joy over pessimism. You can choose that because joy isn't, isn't a feeling of being happy. It's not like all my chemicals are good today. Joy is a decision. Joy is a decision to choose optimism over pessimism. Choose peace over chaos. Choose the peace. Choose hope over cynicism. And choose love over bitterness. Let's look to this teenage girl from Nazareth who just got news that every plan that she probably ever had as a young girl growing up has just been disrupted and turned upside down. She chose to worship 
while she waited. And what an example of a worshiper we get from Mary. Because she gets this life-altering news and immediately, what does she do? She turns around and sings one of the most beautiful songs known as the Magnificat. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. This beautiful song from this teenage revolutionary. Thank you, Father God. Lord God, we bless you. Lord, we want to receive you afresh this morning on this, this beautiful, auspicious day, Father God. We want to say yes to the invitation that you've given us, Lord God. We want to say yes to the calling that you've given us uh, as a church, as a community, and the thing that you're calling each of us to individually, Lord God. We love the fact, Lord God, that you are always looking for participants in your work in the world. And so we say yes, absolutely. And we also recognize, Lord God, that there is a cost to that yes, but it is worth it. We recognize, God, that, that our yes includes the permission for you to work in our lives as you will. So help us, Lord God, to wait well on you. You, the one on whom we wait. God, we desire to see your name made great and your presence manifested fully and powerfully through this community. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as our prayer partners are coming forward? If there's anything you need prayer about, whatever's going on in your life, you need somebody just to stand with you in, in solidarity and faith and believe with you that God is good, that he has a next right step that he will show you, then I encourage you, come forward, let these guys pray with you. If you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, what a wonderful season to do it. Right here, it's his birthday. Say yes to Jesus and he will change your life, I promise you. Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. And may he pour out his mercy for you in this day that we're living in. Grace and peace be with you. And I hope you join us tonight for a truly magical, beautiful celebration by candlelight. Amen.